You're listening to Grill Nation with Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to Grill Nation. This is your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us on 980 AM. I want to thank our partners and supporters of Grill Nation. Kretcher Hartland, Bank of Kansas City, The Bash Group, Kenny Hertz Perry, Catalyst, The Rieger Hotel Grill and Exchange, Kansas City Power and Light District, and Two West Advisors in Ryan Rink. Thank you very much. We're very lucky to have uh, Secretary of Commerce Penny Pritzker on the line today. She was in Kansas City this week. As Secretary of Commerce, she's focused on providing American businesses and entrepreneurs with the tools they need to grow and hire. Secretary Pritzker, how are you today? Welcome to Grill Nation. Oh, thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you on to talk about the Open for Business agenda that you have uh, been leading in the United States. But let's talk first about your uh, trip to Kansas City. I know you were uh, visiting the Digital Sandbox this week. It was great. I had a great visit to Digital Sandbox. You know, they take uh, companies that need help creating a proof of concept. Uh, so they support the commercialization of new ideas and help a business or an entrepreneur who's got a new idea get over a certain hump uh, that they're facing in order to ultimately bring their product to market. And it's a really great example, Digital Sandbox, is of how the U.S. Department of Commerce and our entire administration are able to support entrepreneurial ecosystems around the country. Digital Sandbox, we gave them two I-6 grants from our department's Economic Development Administration, and those grants helped ex- have helped uh, Digital Sandbox accelerate product development the formation of startups and create small businesses through their proof of concept uh, center. And it's really exciting. They've had enormous success. They've taken our funding and raised almost $18 million in follow-on funding, servicing about 300 local entrepreneurs just in February 2013. And they've had 23 new Kansas City companies that have been created, and 33 companies have secured follow-on investments with 181 new jobs and 18 patent applications. So this is exactly the kind of outcome that we want to see when we invest uh, our precious federal dollars. We're really excited about it, and it's exactly what we need and what we're trying to do at the Department of Commerce because we think of ourselves actually as America's innovation agency. Very true, and it's exciting to see what Digital Sandbox has done as well. You know, significant results there with helping to drive early stage entrepreneurs uh, from concept to commercialization. Uh, Secretary Pritzker, talk to me about the PAGE program. That's the Presidential Ambassadors for Global Entrepreneurship. Well, you know, we have a number of programs that support innovation. The President's Ambassadors for Global Entrepreneurship is 17 uh, successful American entrepreneurs who are volunteering their time to travel either domestically or around the world to mentor uh, new entrepreneurs and to share their stories and be, you know, serve an inspirational role. But each one of them has also committed to take on a significant initiative to support entrepreneurship either domestically or around the world. And so these are really terrific Americans who are helping us uh, at the Department of Commerce and in our administration to um, share what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. But we also have lots of other programs that we have to support entrepreneurship. You know, for example, we have a robust intellectual property system 
where we're at the Patent and Trademark Office. We're bringing our uh, patent and trademark services closer to our customer. We're also um, working closely to on Internet policy so that we can have a more uh, open and free Internet, that we can assure greater access to inter- the Internet. We're, we do policy in terms of privacy and security as well as um, working with uh, uh, very innovative companies that are bringing new technologies to market like the Internet of Things. We also, since 2009, have laid over 110,000 miles of broadband across the country to assure that our communities, particularly uh, underserved rural and urban communities, have the opportunity to have access to the Internet, which is so important not only for commerce, but also for access to education. And then we set standards that help uh, entrepreneurs who are creating new products as they want to replicate either their inventions or their products and bring them to market both domestically and around the world. So we play a really critical role helping companies uh, go lab to market. We're talking to U.S. Department of Congress, Commerce, Commerce excuse me, Secretary Penny Pritzker. Um, one of the things I think is real exciting about what you've done at the Commerce Department is really – Really, you really stress the importance of innovation and entrepreneurship to the digital economy and why entrepreneurship is really, really important in today's uh, United States economy. Um, congrats on that, first of all. But uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, with entrepreneurship well, kind of leaning growth in the economy. You know what? Entrepreneurship is extremely important. You know, we know that uh, uh, startups are responsible for about 65% of job creation in this country over the last two decades. So it's incredibly important that we help our entrepreneurs take their ideas from uh, something that sits on the back of a napkin or sits on their iPhone to a product or a service that they can deliver to the marketplace, both domestically and globally. And one of the things we've done is help, in fact, entrepreneurs. We have a program called Startup Global, so we're helping uh, new companies not only think of their market as the United States, but think about the rest of the world, because the United States is a great source of inspiration. Our entrepreneurs here are. So, you know, it is, it is, it, the Department of Commerce is right at the intersection of both innovation and entrepreneurship. Another area where entrepreneurship and innovation is really, uh, has a lot of action right now is in the area of manufacturing. We've the, this administration created a program called the National Network of Manufacturing Innovation. And today we have nine advanced manufacturing hubs uh, in the United States that are taking uh, uh, new technologies that we think can come to market from the laboratory over the next five to seven years and keep the United States on the cutting edge of innovation and help new entrepreneurs uh, bring products to market. These are in areas like 3D printing or composite materials or uh, digital manufacturing or photonics. So there's so many different aspects of entrepreneurship that we support. Another is in food. We uh, just gave uh, a number of designations of, of innovation manufacturing community partnerships designations to a number of communities that are, are really taking local food to the next level and developing food incubators and food processing uh, capabilities so that we can um, produce our food closer to the marketplace where it's consumed. 
So there's a lot of innovation, a lot of entrepreneurship going on all over our country. And in fact, I, you know, being here in Kansas City, I was just with a dozen of your uh, uh, very exciting entrepreneurs who are doing everything from trying to create a more innovative home that uh, will be uh, 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 not need uh, that will be neutral in terms of its consumption of energy to uh, folks that are creating a uh, speedier RFP process for governments. And it's really exciting to hear them talk about the ecosystem, the entrepreneurial ecosystem that exists here in Kansas City. And I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to engage with them and for our Economic Development Administration to be able to support these efforts. Well, U.S. Secretary of Commerce, Penny Pritzker, thanks for coming on, Grill Nation. All, everything you just said is music to my ears and music to entrepreneur and uh, business leaders' ears throughout this country, and we appreciate you coming on the show today. And thanks for visiting Kansas City and for all the work you do for uh, the United States and for entrepreneurs and business owners throughout the country. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back with more Grill Nation after the break. Running down the street like your hair's on fire. Thoughts running fast like a man on the wire. Can't stop laughing, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out at Brooklyn. Now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the Narrow. But I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra. And since I made it here, I can make it... Hello and welcome back to Grill Nation. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us today on Talk 980 AM and on Talk... 980am.com. Also, thanks for joining us on TuneIn Radio and iTunes today. I uh, want to thank you for connecting with me as well on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. Obviously, a lot of our listeners know that we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show from time to time, and I'm very, um, very uh, excited about what's going on in the fashion world these days. Obviously, as someone who's jumped into the kind of jumped into the fashion world, I guess with Sock 101. Uh, one of the uh, one of the great young fashion designers here in Kansas City and across the country is uh, joining us today. We have Anna Goodmanson. Did I pronounce that right? Oh, you did. I should yeah, never yeah. ask that. I, I knew <laughs> yeah. I had it right. Um, she, she is a, uh, a fashion designer here in Kansas City who is named the best fashion designer in 2014. She's also been featured in the New York Times, which we'll get to soon. She is the owner of AnnaRuna.com. AnnaRuna. Runa.com. There you go. Yep. So tell us about yourself. Okay. I'm, uh, where did you I'm start? Anna. I know you're a Mizzou grad. I am, yes. From Kansas City. Yeah. Born and raised, went to Mizzou, and then been here ever since I graduated. And I started Anaruna when I was a junior in college. So, and that's been about five years ago now. Did you uh, study in college at Mizzou to be a fashion designer? Yeah. Well, my major was textiles and apparel management. Okay. That's what they call it, which is clothing, design, merchandising. So you kind of you kind of knew all along that you wanted yeah. to do something like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, how did this all begin? I know that you we, we were talking off air. You you set up an Etsy. Is that kind of how I it did. started? Yes. Well, it kind of started a couple steps back. Uh, a couple friends of mine asked me to make them bow ties. This was at the when bow ties were just kind of coming back into have their moment, and I made them two or three, and they wore them on um, a blog that they had at the time. And people were asking, you know, where'd you get that? Because yeah. it was before bow ties were everywhere. And they said she, that I had made them. And so they were like, if you make a little website or whatever, we'll promote you. And I made, I started on Etsy and I made probably 20, 25 bow ties. 
went out of town. Now, how long did that take for you? Because um, that's at, at first when I didn't really know what I was doing, probably a week. Yeah, yeah, and to photograph it and put it all online, yeah. and all that. And that's um, at anaruna.com. See? Yes. Got that right. Um, yes. <laughs> so you did that. You went out of town, and they're all gone. They sold out, and then everything just kind of continued on from there. And you started a, a website. A and, yes, started and, a website a year later, and now I'm, yeah. And so, yeah, and so you don't you don't just do bow ties. What else do you do? Now, uh, since then, I've expanded to regular ties, uh, suspenders, and pocket squares mainly, just men's accessories. And, and talk to me about that. I mean, why are you passionate about men's accessories? Why did you decide to get into men's clothing? You know, I, I don't know. In in college, I did my my project, my final project on menswear. I don't know. I just kind of like how it's constant. Usually, like it's forever constant, but you can change within that. So it's. I mean, everyone guys always going to wear a tie, mm-hmm. but then you can add a little personality with pocket square or with a fun pattern or. With socks, as you yeah, right, know. right, right. And what what is your what is your style on the website? I mean, what what kind of is it more like a preppy style, or what? what how would you explain it? Because I notice you have a lot of gingham patterns, which I'm a yes. fan of, and a lot of um, plaid. Yes, especially well, in your pocket squares. Yeah, and that's just kind of the market. I mean, the like southern preppy style they gravitate more towards bow ties and pocket squares, so kind of cater to that market. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking to Anna Goodmanson, who is the founder of AnnaRuna.com and also a a Best Fashion Designer in KC winner in 2014 with The Pitch. Talk to me about this New York Times article. I thought that was sure. fascinating because you had just started. Yeah. Uh, really. I mean, and you said yeah. sewing for your friends, but you started the Etsy in 2010. You were in yes. the New York Times, I think, in 2012, I yeah. noticed. Um, how did that all happen? Um, that's pretty it cool. Was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Someone emailed me just off my website. So I had just launched my, just com off of the Etsy probably May of 2012, right after I graduated college too. So like all this happened in one month. Mm-hmm. And they said they were doing a article on the kind of the resurgence of bow ties. Would I send them some? And I said, yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, sent them about 30 and they photographed it, called and did a little interview. And I was quoted in the New York Times, came out in October and then I still get hits from that article. It really it was kind of the best thing that could have happened for my business. So, Truly, right? Yeah. I mean, so the PR works even when you're yeah. not paying for it. You got yeah. you got contacted by the New York Times. Yes. That's something I think people don't get as much in, in Kansas City. I think yeah. that there's a lot of people that will Google whatever bow tie or whatever, yeah. and that article will come up, which has got to be huge for you. Yeah, definitely. Well, and then I mean, I make, saw it and I was like, holy yeah. wally! You know, yeah. like, I mean, people that do kind of entrepreneurs that are kind of doing yeah. something with fashion. Yeah. Um, and then when I met you, I'm like, okay, let's, let's get her, let's get a read on her. And then I saw that and I was just blown away that that had been, you yeah. were already in the New York times. I know it's kind of, I started with the best thing that that could have happened and now I'm just kind of <laughs> riding that wave still, but no, I mean, it either really that or, or your, with... your Taylor Swift lookalike skills, right? Yes, of course. I'm sure you get yeah. that all the time when you're traveling, right? Yeah. Even when I'm not traveling, <laughs> going to the post office. Yes, I know. Yeah. Anyways, um, well, that's really cool, and I think that's yeah. neat. And one of the things the article talked about was that bow ties are already tied. Your bow ties are already tied. Um, that article actually focused on those, but most of mine are actually not. Okay, that was my yeah. question for you. I know. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because my well, my quote in the that article, and your New York Times made, quote, right? Yes, <laughs> uh, is. I, I say something along the lines of people 
gravitating towards self tie because it's you know, it's more legitimate. You earn the right to wear a bow tie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I do pre tied stuff if someone wants it, mostly for weddings or larger parties. But because well, I I learned how to tie a bow tie uh, yeah. for a I had a black tie event when I was in politics and. After I wore it one or two times, you yeah. know, you get a tux and you get the tie. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, forgot to do it. Yeah. So I'd always ask like the hotel concierge yeah. or wherever we were having the event to do it. Yeah. And I felt stupid because, and then I tried to look up <laughs> well, on YouTube how to tie them. It's not something that you're, that's very common. Yeah. So I've, I've done some for friends or for some weddings and people will FaceTime call me like, can you explain how to do this? It's hard. I feel yeah. like it's like, they say it's like tying a shoe, but yeah, but not to me right up here on your neck. <laughs> so that's. A little more unnatural. Yeah. So you were talking, okay, so it is the summertime now. Uh, you do a lot of ties, uh, personalized and customized ties for wedding parties, you were saying? Yes. So that's yeah. huge for you this time of year? Yeah. I do a lot of linen and kind of just more summery fabrics this time of year. I mean, there's no real wedding season anymore. It's just There's of, not? No, it's just always. I mean, there are some weddings that just happened, and now I'm working on weddings that are happening in the fall, so it's just... What's your kind of lead? Always. What's your lead time like for the listeners out there? If they're uh, they're thinking about proposing to their girlfriend, yeah. uh, <laughs> or, or their best friend is getting married and they want to sure. do something cool, I mean, maybe they could do a a sock one hundred one slash Anaruna bow tie combo. Yeah. How would how, um, how how long does it take for them to? I would say probably two months, mm-hmm. but I mean, I in dire situations I can rush it, but yeah, yeah, probably two months is my. I can tell you now. this, I uh. I got a birthday gift once from a friend's wife, um, a pocket square, uh-huh. and she sewed it, and you know he gave it to me. But uh, yeah. it was one of the coolest nice. yeah. gifts. You you know, I mean, for birthdays from friends, it, I thought it was really cool, and I still yeah. have it, and yeah. uh, I wear it a lot. So I, I feel like these kinds of gifts are yeah. kind of cool for guys that actually kind of unique. Yeah, they are. They're nobody, and and the fact that you can that she sewed it was like right. at the time I'm like, well, that's cool. I had no idea your wife yeah. could sew a yeah. pocket square. How did you do this? Why don't you make a business out of this? Yeah, she hasn't done it yet, but you have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, talk about like, you know, kind of the future, I guess, for the company and what you're going to try yeah. to do next. Because I know you're young and you, you right. you're in Kansas City. You could have probably moved to New York or L.A. at this point. Yeah. Um, you're still here. I am. I know you travel a lot, but 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 you, yeah. you, you, are you planning on staying here? And um, are you are you I gonna? Yeah. I mean, and what's happening in Kansas City right now is we're just definitely gaining more national traction as far as legitimacy, and you know people don't expect like this kind of thing to come out of Missouri, but right. it's it's happening more and more now. And I don't know. I I really I do like Kansas City. It's an also very accessible city. Like you, I don't know. Actually, I was at a concert a couple weeks ago, and mm-hmm. someone was like, "I think I bought a bow tie from you." I was like, "Yeah, you probably did." But it was just yeah. it's just like you can meet and be on the same level as yeah. I don't know. And you can still travel and do your thing with yeah. fashion. I mean, if you need yeah. to, yeah, uh, and become a national brand. I think from Kansas City. Yeah. I mean, if you really have a good product and you can ship yeah. it all over the place nowadays with e-commerce. Yeah. So Yeah, I've shipped, I mean, all over the world. I do a lot of business with Australia. A lot of Canadians like suspenders. Raise their shipping yeah. costs, right? Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so who are some of your style icons as a, as a fashion designer? Like who do you, who do you look, open the magazine up and you say, I love her style um, or his style? Well, that's a, Kind of a tricky question. I would, for her style, I would say um, Emma Watson. 
Emma Watson. Yes. Just, I don't know, classic, but also fashion, trendy. Cool. Yeah. She's my favorite, for sure. Um, making a note of that. Yeah. Emma Watson. <laughs> yeah. Also. Okay. What about guys? Guys, I don't know. I don't know that I have a real recognizable name. I don't know. I follow some different bloggers and stuff. Yeah. But what about a celebrity? Hmm. Celebrity-wise... George Clooney, he's pretty, sure. pretty stylish. I was say David Beckham. David I mean, Beckham, yeah. You know. He does some good underwear ads, I heard. Um, okay. yeah. <laughs> when, he's got, when he's got clothes on. Yeah, right. Uh, Anna Goodmanson, the owner of AnnaRuna.com. Guys, check it out there. Uh, how do we connect with you on Twitter? Is it just at Anna, Anna. R-U-N-A? Yes. Is your Twitter? You're on Instagram, too, I know. Yes, and it's Anna Runa Neckwear. Okay, and then check out your website. You have... Uh, all the information about your media work and your, your you can buy right on there at AnnaRuna.com. Yes. Yep. Very cool. Well, appreciate you coming on Grill Nation, Anna, and uh, congrats on what you're doing and keep Thank it up. And much. hopefully we can keep you in Kansas City. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, good. We'll be right back on Grill Nation. Thanks for joining us. First things first, I'm the realest. Realest. Drop this and let the whole world feel it. Let them feel it. And I'm still in the murder business. I can hold you down like I'm giving lessons in physics. Right, right. Well, you can tell everybody, yeah, you can tell everybody, go ahead and tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Welcome back to Grill Nation. This is your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us today on Talk 980 AM and on Talk980AM.com as, as well as on GrillNationShow.com, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and online as well on Talk980AM.com. Really excited about our next guest. Um, I am a huge baseball fan. As many of you know, we have, you know, the Royals pre and post game guys come on the show a lot. We talk baseball a lot. We, we talk about stadiums a lot as someone who actually I've gotten to travel to a lot of them. Saw a story uh, about a month ago and, uh, was very interested to have these two guys on. If you haven't checked it out, it's 30in30430.com. We have Brian O'Connor and Tim Leif, who were the two guys who orchestrated this awesome baseball stadium trip for their 30th birthdays on the line from Chicago. How are you guys today? Good to have you on. Um, okay, guys, so tell me first off how you came up with this idea. Somebody, I mean, I've been wanting to do something like this my entire life. How did you guys actually put this together and then take the plunge to doing it for 30 days? Uh, so, you know, we've been talking about doing a kind of trip for the past few years. You know, since we both got out of college, we wanted to do a baseball trip. Uh, I'm a teacher, and so I have summers off, as Brian talking. And uh, so I've been, you know, bugging Tim basically every year since, uh, since I have summers off. We should take a trip. We should take a trip. And uh, finally, uh, Tim kind of threw back at me, well, if you want to take a trip, we're going to do them all. And uh, it's... It coincided with our 30th birthday, so it seemed kind of poetic. We do 30 games in 30 days for our 30th. Truly cool. I mean, and, and so you guys were both on board from the start, or Tim Tim had some pushback there. Uh, I definitely I definitely had a little bit of pushback from uh, from a work perspective. I had to beg borrow as much as I as much as I could to try to get the, the time off of work. And uh, it turned out that I wasn't able to get all the days off of work necessary to make this trip so do was we had to retrofit our rental car as sort of a mobile workstation, so we had a Wi-Fi hotspot, we had a laptop and everything, so that uh, I could basically work remotely from the, the road whenever I had to. 
Amazing. So, um, so Brian, talk to us about kind of the scheduling aspect of this because, you know, I mean, we've, a lot of us have had the opportunity to travel to baseball games, but the scheduling you guys put together on the website yeah, so is insane. Was, well, uh, yeah, actually, I can't take credit for the look of it. That is all Tim. He is a spreadsheet man, uh, thick and thin. So uh, the look of it is all him. But what we did was we kind of sat down from each other with two laptops uh, on a Sunday and just went back and forth with one person on the MLB schedule and the other person with Google Maps. We just kind of mapped out how to get to each stadium. What we quickly figured out was that we had to get all of the West Coast teams together. So once we were able to find a spot in the schedule where that happened, the rest of the schedule just kind of fit into place. And and what was your guys' finances like? I know you posted a YouTube video to your website. Talk to us about the finances and what you anticipated to spend on this trip and what you actually spent. Yeah, sure. So, uh, again, this is Tim being the, the finance guy. Uh, there was no way that I was going to go into this trip without some sort of budget. So Brian and I sat down and uh, came up with a budget going into it. And a lot of people asked us throughout the trip what it was going to look like. And to be honest, we could forecast, we could guess, but we really just needed to wait to the end. The The budget turned out to be uh, everyone, by the way, that, that we met along the trip pretty much overshot uh, their estimates on what they thought this probably cost to individuals. Um, it cost us under $4,000 apiece. It was ended up being about, uh, we budgeted about $3,800 uh, individually, and we spent about $3,400, $3,500 individually. So we came in under budget, I'm happy to say, <laughs> and uh, at the same time, it was not nearly the uh, the undertaking that so many people kind of thought it would be. I really do think that that had a lot to do with the way that we decided to do it. You know, again, renting a car, not taking flights, not spending time in hotel rooms. Thankfully, we had friends and family along the way, but uh, the finances shook out to be pretty favorable. Yeah, talk about that. So what were your uh, your most your highest expenses? I would assume they were uh, gas and tickets. Uh, that's right. Gas was definitely the highest expense. And the second one was tickets, yeah. Our well, look third, at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we weren't spending money on much else, to be honest. We, we didn't have a lot of time to do much else other than watch baseball games and drive to the next baseball game. <laughs> did you guys ever think about? Uh, did you ever think about getting any sponsors or just to, to pay for the trip? Or you figured, you know what, let's just do this? Did you anticipate the amount of uh, publicity you would get from this? Uh, yeah, you know, we had both. We had both budgeted for the trip, and we kind of saved up for it. So we weren't looking for someone to sponsor this uh, trip, and it uh, it kind of let us live the experience of uh, the common fan. We walked up to a, most of the stadiums, up to the ticket booth the day of to buy tickets. It really gave us a sense of each stadium and of the community. That's cool. I, you know, I didn't even think about that, but that's really cool. Talk to me about the sleep aspect, because if you're driving cross, I mean, some of these drives I saw were over like 14 hours. Is that right? I mean, how did, what, who drove and how did you guys, how'd you guys divvy up that? I mean, I can't imagine you're, you're 30, I'm 35, but just getting absolutely no sleep would be, uh, would be tough, wouldn't it? Uh, it absolutely was, and I think that that's what we found to be the most challenging aspect of the entire trip uh, turned out to be those drives. I mean, we had uh, we had a 30-hour drive just to start the trip um, with the kind of crazy end that we had to the trip uh, because of the rainout that occurred, which uh, you know I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later. But uh, that was basically another 24, 25 hours of driving almost pretty much straight through. We had a 17-and-a-half-hour drive. Uh, to get from Florida to Texas. So there were some big ones in there. 
And I think that Brian and I, as much as we've known each other our entire life and everything, um, that the sleep deprivation, how it impacted us, how it impacted how we, we viewed things, that was easily the, the biggest challenge of the trip. But uh, that said, we, we did a good job budgeting our, our time. We overcame all these sleep challenges. And, uh, you know, there, I don't think there were any real close calls when it came to uh, to what to the sleeping or to the driving aspect. How many miles did you guys uh, put on the put on the rental? Uh, we put, let's see, I know it was around 18,000, but I can actually get <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, man. It was, we did so much driving. And then, I don't know if you, our last day, we had to drive from Baltimore to Detroit, back to Baltimore, and then back home to Chicago for work on Monday. Yeah, tell us about that. So you guys, you didn't have any rainouts on the entire trip until the very end. Touch on that and yeah, how that all worked exactly. out. Exactly. So, by the way, the total mileage was 17,820. Uh, okay, so what happened on our second to last day, we were in New York seeing the Mets, and we saw that uh, on Saturday uh, we were supposed to go to Baltimore to see the Orioles, but there was rain in the forecast. On Sunday we were supposed to go to Detroit to see uh, the Tigers. There was also rain in the forecast in Detroit. So we're sitting in New York in the parking lot Friday afternoon wondering, okay, which stadium should we go to to make sure we can avoid the rain? There's no way that they're going to cancel both games on Saturday in Baltimore and Detroit, so we just got to pick the right one. Well, we picked Baltimore, and lo and behold, they canceled both games. Uh, the Baltimore so, game and Detroit both got canceled. Yeah, both of our both of our possibilities got canceled on Saturday. So then we, we sat in Baltimore trying to figure out what we are going to do. They rescheduled the Baltimore game uh, as a doubleheader the next day, a day-night doubleheader. They didn't reschedule the, the Detroit game, uh, so we it, our our objective was clear. We drove to uh, Detroit that overnight, basically, so we could be in Detroit to start their day game. And about three or so innings in, we made it. We, we made our move to Baltimore. Now, remind, that's an eight-hour drive that we had to drive back to Baltimore. <laughs> and we were able to catch the last uh, two or three innings of that Baltimore game to complete our 30 and 30. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you guys were you were tired. You were wondering what's going to happen next. I mean, what was your favorite story from the road of what you encountered? With was it was it the fans at a stadium, or was it just you and uh, you and Tim? Uh, so this, this is Tim talking. I would say that my favorite. I mean, my favorite story from the road of the, the best part of the trip is obviously seeing all thirty ballparks with your best friend. I mean, you can't really can't really write that to be much better. Uh, I would say though that that what I think we found that was surprising and that we, I guess we didn't expect going into the trip, was the fanfare and the, the amount of people that we interact with at every stadium. It was quite remarkable to see how many people would just find us out of the crowd and just say, hey, you're those 30 and 30 guys. It's so cool. Um, you know, can, can we talk to you about your favorite baseball park? Can we buy you a beer? Can we, um, you know, let's just chat for an inning or two. And, um, you know, ushers, fans, Basically, anybody that we encountered, where everyone was so genuine, everyone was so nice and so open about everything, that was easily one of the, the most memorable parts of the trip. Talk about that real quickly. Talk about your freebies. Like, what were the teams doing for you? Anything really cool that any of the teams did? Uh, a couple of teams did some did some pretty neat things. We we got a tour of the field uh, in Detroit. We were on the field in uh, Texas. Uh, sorry for the Rangers. And uh, a bunch of teams, you know, 
gave us some, some swag from their social media crew. And really, uh, the teams that had good social media presences reached out to us and contacted us and, uh, you know, gave us some stuff. But mostly, you know, we just got to meet the, uh, their people. I'm trying to think. Were there any more stuff? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, there was, uh, you know, some the teams that you would imagine uh, have good social media presences were great to us. Um, that's great. We're talking to the 30 and 30, 430 guys, Brian and Tim. We got 30 seconds left on this segment, guys. Um, real quickly, what's it like getting back to normal life? And then our next segment, we're going to get into the stadiums and talk about Kauffman Stadium, especially. How's normal life treating you? Uh, uh, well, normal life for, for me, this is Tim, uh, was incredibly hard to get back into. Thankfully, I was doing work from the road, so it wasn't too terrible, but, uh, it's definitely a shock to the system to get back to, to the regular world. Normal life for me has been sleeping, and it has been wonderful. I love sleeping in my bed again. I hate you. <laughs> uh, so that's been phenomenal. Oh, great. Well, hey, uh, Brian and Tim are going to join us right after the break. We're going to get into their stadium rankings, also talk about Kauffman Stadium. You can check out their website at 30in30430.com and also follow them on Twitter at 30in30430. We'll be right back on Grill Nation. I turn the music up, I got my records on I shut the world outside until the lights come on Maybe the streets We could fly Cause we all have wings But some of us don't know why Welcome back to Grill Nation. I'm your host Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us today on 980am and on talk980am.com. Uh, we're talking to the 30 and 30 for 30 guys, Brian O'Connor and Tim Leif. They just finished their uh, trek to 30 Major League Baseball stadiums in 30 days for their 30th birthday. Pretty awesome story. I mean, every uh, probably every male's dream to do this, and they co- they did it with a rental car, a great scheduling, and uh, had some great stories in our last segment from the road. I want to talk about what their thoughts were about Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. Uh, if you go to their website, they have videos of uh, recaps of all their, their visits. But I uh, wanted to see where Kauffman Stadium ranked, and then we'll get in some of their other favorites. But uh, why don't we start there, guys? What were your initial thoughts of Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City? Uh, well, the first thought when you get to Kauffman is that it's, you know, it's so far away from the city, it's uh, off of a highway, and so your initial thought is, eh, you know, you're not exactly sure what you're about to get, but as soon as you start walking up to the park, we were lucky enough to be there on a Sunday, it was a beautiful, clear day, and uh, you walk up to the stadium, and it is just gorgeous. Uh, walking into the, even actually before you even get in, you have the little spiral staircases on the side that's uh, a really nice architecture, and then once you get into the stadium, you have, uh, you know, the fountains, the the crown, the clear kind of view behind you. And while it's not the view of a downtown that maybe uh, something like Pittsburgh has, you know, it just it felt very Midwestern. It felt very baseball. Yeah, I felt like you're in a backyard almost sometimes. I mean, that's what people say about Coffin. And that's one of our issues, guys, is that I've always been a proponent of a downtown stadium here. But when they did the rebuild of Kauffman, it's just such a great place to watch a game that it's, it's really hard for people to think about building a new stadium because that stadium, since the renovations and even before, is one of, in my opinion, is when I've been to a few stadiums, it's it's in the top ten for me. I mean, so Tim, what did you think of Kauffman? I know it ranked higher on your list. Yeah, it's uh, everything that Brian said, everything that you've said, and more. I mean, the one thing that I would say about Kauffman Stadium that made it feel great was it got the historic baseball feel to it because it is an older stadium, but it had the renovation so that it doesn't feel old when you're in it. 
That's one of the, the biggest drawbacks I think Wrigley has. It's one of the biggest drawbacks that Fenway has, even with its renovation. Meanwhile, you walk into Kaufman, it's an intimate view. The seats are, you know, you don't feel like you're up in the nosebleeds, even when you are up as about as high as you can go. Um, you feel like you're on the field pretty much from wherever you are, and you don't feel like you're in a stadium that is, that is old. And in reality, you still get the historic feel while not feeling that way as a fan. That's awesome. Um, so, guys, let's go. You guys did a newly newlyweds game, which I thought was hilarious. Um, you picked out kind of your favorite parts of each stadium to build the perfect Major League Baseball stadium. Uh, let's start there. So let's let's start with uh, let's just start talking about that. So location, you guys both selected Wrigley. Obviously, Wrigleyville is amazing. That that was was that a no brainer for you guys, or was that an easy choice? Well, it's a no brainer because it's just so unique. The area around Wrigleyville is something kind of unlike any other city. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's a really unique place to be before and after uh, a ball game, something that you're not going to get anywhere else in the country. Um, inside design, you uh, two of your favorites were Coffin, obviously, for Tim, and then uh, uh, Miami for Brian. Never been to Miami's Park. What did you guys think of that? Miami is, again, a kind of like Wrigley. It is so different. It is a unique experience when you go see a game there. They have... A they color code the sections um, of the outfield and the first base and third base line. It has this very um, kind of, I think the word is Art Deco feel to it. It feels very much Miami. Uh, it is clean, and the colors are so vibrant that it just grabs your attention. You guys uh, both went with the best view in Major League Baseball is PNC Park in Pittsburgh, which I think is one of the better parks. It's just people don't think of it because it's in Pittsburgh, I think, a lot of the time. But what do you guys think about PNC? Well, and I, I would say a lot of people, the, the feedback we've gotten and everyone we've talked to, a lot of people have said, how, how do you rank that over, let's say, AT&T in San Francisco where you have the Cove and everything? The interesting part about it is that PNC uh, has, has everything that Kaufman has, except instead of having nothing behind it, it has the entire downtown skyline. It has the several bridges that go over the river that's right there. And it's, again, right on riverfront property. It's similar to Cincinnati, which is where the All-Star Game is being held right now, in the fact that it's right on a riverfront like that. However, behind Cincinnati, you get really nothing. You're just looking into Kentucky, whereas, again, Pittsburgh, you're seeing the entire downtown. So there were so many times where we, we found it interesting, the directionality, the, the direction that they had the stadiums pointing, why they chose certain things. And it just seemed like Pittsburgh really had that planned very well, where they, they absolutely um, featured their city as best as possible. Talk to me about your favorite food items, guys. That's something I uh, I love at baseball stadiums, and I know a lot of listeners do too. What were your What were your stadiums with the best food or favorite food items for yours? Well, you know what was what was really interesting about this trip is that we we couldn't physically eat all the food <laughs> that we wanted to. You know, every stadium that we went to, somebody had a recommendation. You got to get the blank dog. You got to get the fill in the blank burger. Uh, and so, you know, obviously, we couldn't possibly eat everything. So we didn't try and eat something at every stadium. We really tried to uh, wait out for the stuff that was, you know, excellent at the top of the list. And for us, that was in, uh, in New York, in the city field, Papa Frida's steak sandwiches were phenomenal. The Mets, huh? Um... Yeah, and we, we, also, we also, when we were in Philly, we made sure we got uh, a cheese steak to obviously do that whole thing. Uh, I, I would say we tried to also hang out... Uh, Hold out for those unique food items. Uh, the brisket nachos in Kansas City at Kaufman actually were, were quite something. There were uh, it seemed like nachos uh, were, were a theme there as far as uh, some of the different things you did with them. Um, but then also 
uh, very unique items like the churro dog we had, which was a uh, long john bun with a churro in it, ice cream, whipped cream, all that, that was featured at uh, Chase Field in Arizona. It was very interesting. The boomstick, which was a two-foot-long chili cheese dog that was featured <laughs> at, the, at the Globe Life Park in Arlington. That was uh, a heck of an undertaking for two guys who had to spend 12 hours in a car to try to do. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> 30 and 30 for 30, guys. A uh, couple more quickies. Uh, Brian, you really like Petco Park in San Diego. And I've, at San Diego, I mean, it's hard not to like everything in San Diego. But wh- why do you like Petco Park? I got a chance to go there earlier this year. I thought it was pretty cool. Well, I I agree with you. It's hard not to like everything in San Diego. What a gorgeous city and just a, a gorgeous like environment to watch a, watch a baseball game. What I liked about San Diego was they kind of brought in everything that you could possibly ever want for a baseball game and brought it into their park. Even things you might not want for a baseball <laughs> game because there was literally everything in that city. Yes, that's what Tim kind of... Tim and I disagree on. Tim thought there was way there was everything you would ever need in your life in that baseball park, and that's what I loved about it. You know, there's a beach out there in right field. They have a full, uh, they have a wiffle ball park out in the outfield. They have a, like a dog park, a, you know, with the hill that has the Tony Gwynn statue. It's built with the left field of the metal supply company, and then you have this huge open field to all of the park. I just thought it was totally unique and really interesting. They had palm trees in their stadium, too, which was pretty neat, <laughs> in the actual yeah. concourse. So there you go, right? Um, real quickly, best fans, talk to us about who the, the best fans were. Uh, I think the best fans that Brian and I had consensus on were Oakland. The, the Oakland fans were, were uh, awesome. Uh, the Kansas City fans were also uh, exceptional. The Cardinals fans really, uh, I mean, for a day game, the, the whole, the, it was sold out. It was a day game on a Tuesday. There was rain in the forecast, and the whole the entire place was packed even before the game. Uh, San Francisco had great fans as well. Uh, but then the, the one fan group that we sort of chosen that was interesting that we chose uh, for, I, I would say the, the reason we chose them was interesting was Philadelphia. So the, the Phillies fans, uh, we chose them because they are vicious and, and frenetic, but they are vicious both to the opposing team and to their own team, if uh, if the situation dictates it. So they were they were uh, booing their own fans when they would drop foul balls, uh, you know, things of that nature. So um, they would turn on you just as quickly as they root for you. Interesting stuff, guys. Uh, Brian O'Connor, Tim Leif, the thirty and thirty for thirty dot com guys. Every guy's dream. I'm glad you guys completed it. Pretty cool stuff you did, and uh, really appreciate you coming on the radio show today. Thanks a bunch, man. Total pleasure. Appreciate Thank it. You. We'll see you next week on Grill Nation.